Welcome to Ottawa Valley Community Church, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. Good morning, everybody. And good morning to uh, online streaming people as well. Um, As you can see, I'm going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus in history. And I'd like to start by looking at two historical facts. The first one is that everybody recognizes, uh, and even people who probably don't believe in Jesus will recognize what that is and who that is. That is a historical fact that is undisputed, unless you're one of those extreme cases who thinks that Jesus never lived at all. There are a few of those sort of people out there. They're kind of weird. I remember my kids talking about them when they were in uh, post, uh, post-secondary education, meeting people who actually believed that Jesus was actually a mythical character who never even lived or existed. And uh, one of of my old bosses used to talk about invincible ignorance. And no matter what evidence you could bring to them to show them, because having me for a father, they could recite it, uh, they couldn't get through to these people. No, that's just a myth. They would equate him with old mythologies of uh, Isis and Osiris rising from the dead all the time, or the god Ra passing into the world, into the underworld, and coming back to life again, and all of this kind of stuff. But we know that Jesus Christ lived and died at a certain period in history. In fact, we can come, if we really apply ourselves, we can come very close to the exact day in the exact time. I'll get back to that in a bit. So it's not hard for most people to accept that Jesus was brutally executed by the Romans about 2,000 years ago. That is not hard for them to accept. Uh, One of the things about the actual real crucifixion is that it was as you've probably heard, one of the most brutal methods of execution that has ever been devised by human beings. When it talks about Jesus being scourged before he was taken to the cross, that was standard practice. There was no namby-pamby treatment of the prisoners, nothing. They were beaten and they were scourged. And in Jesus' case, uh, since he had already been beaten a number of times uh, during his first interrogations, Aaron pointed out last week, beautifully how many trials there actually were, and which was absolutely exceptional and unheard of. And the uh, five things that he gave us to believe that, they, that Jesus really was resurrected, that was very, very uh, solid. The execution of Jesus, this is much closer to what it would, would have looked like. What Jesus would have looked like hanging on the cross, the scourging was head to toe and front and back. And they stripped them naked to do it. So it was really, really brutal. That gives you a little bit of idea. But the second fact that I want to mention is, on the following slide, Jesus did not stay dead. Those are two historical facts that we base our faith on. If those things are not true, nothing we believe is true. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, and if you want to read 
resurrection evidence inside the scriptures go there. Paul summarizes it, pretty much all of it. But he says this about that as he gets into the middle of his discourse on the resurrection. I'm not going to go through 1 Corinthians 15. But he says this, If the Messiah wasn't raised, your faith is pointless or futile, and you are still in your sins. If it's only for this present life that we have hope in the Messiah, we are the most pitiable members of the human race because we're absolute fools for believing a myth like so many people would like to say today. If Christianity is based on a myth, then the last 2,000 years, a good part of it, not only of Christian history, but of world history, have been based on a myth. What's the calendar date today? Hmm? 20, yeah, and it's the, 20, it's the year is 2022. Why do we date the year by 2022? It goes back to the birth of Christ, miscalculated a little bit, but still goes back to the birth of Christ. From the very beginning, it hasn't been hard for people to accept that Jesus died on the cross, but it has been extremely hard for them to believe that he rose from the dead. Because people die all the time, brutally, not so brutally, whatever, accidents, whatever. People die all the time. That's the fate of everybody who's ever lived, except for a couple of people. Even Jesus died. There are a couple of people mentioned in Scripture who didn't. But Jesus died. What's extremely hard is to admit that he didn't stay dead. There are two words. The word resurrection itself comes from Latin. It's resurgere, which means to, re, uh, to come back to life or to resurge, to come back in power when you didn't have it. And the other word is the Greek word anastasis, which means to break the, stas the stasis to break the situation that you're used to, to overturn it. The Greeks didn't believe in that. They had a word for it, but they didn't believe it because the Greeks were, if we want to call them that, scientific people as far as anybody in ancient times was. The Romans were very practical people. They just didn't believe it because that's not what happens. You kill people on a cross, they stay dead. The problem we have is simple, is that people just don't return to life, and even today, we refuse to believe that they do. It hasn't happened very often. It happened a few times when Jesus raised some people. When he died, and there's another little bit of mythology. A lot of people want, to think that, uh, want us to think that Jesus was kind of this obscure guy from Nowheresville, and nobody knew about him. That is not true. It's not true in ancient times, certainly not true today. When he died on the cross, Jesus was not a little-known boondocks guy from backwoods Galilee. Yeah, he was from a small place in Galilee, that's true, and as far as the, the, the central places of, of the Jewish world in those days was around Jerusalem, Galilee was Hicksville, but Jesus was not this obscure guy who didn't know anything. He was a very public person. When he died, he had hundreds of thousands of people that knew about him and followed him and loved him. And then there was this other group who hated him. The authorities, both Jewish and Roman, knew who he was. And as far as they were concerned, he was a first-class troublemaker. He was upsetting things. 
So they collaborated, as we know, in getting rid of them. And um, he even had somewhat of an international reputation. There's a very strange episode. There's a couple of strange episodes. One's in the gospel and one's outside the gospel. First one in the gospel is that just before Jesus is, is going to be executed, a few days before, it has this curious incident, incident in John 12 where it says some Greeks had come up with the other, all the others to worship at the festival. They went to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. Sir, they said, we want to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew and Andrew and Philip went together to tell Jesus. That's all we hear about this. It's a very strange episode. Why did John put that in there? Like, what's it got to do with anything? It has this to do with it, is that Jesus' reputation had spread a long way by this point. People knew about him. Think of all the pilgrims that went to Israel for the various festivals, Passover, Pentecost, uh, Rosh Hashanah, all of that stuff. These pilgrims came from all over the Jewish diaspora in those days, which were faraway places. And when they, when they got there, they discovered for, for about three years, this guy had been going around doing all these incredible things, saying these very challenging uh, statements about the order of things. And you went home and said nothing, do you think? Oh, what was the news when you were away in, in Israel? Wow, there's this dude there, and there's amazing stuff happening. Could this be the Messiah? This went a long way. We have some verification for this outside the Bible. So who were these Greeks? From the diaspora somewhere. And they, were, they would have been like the proselytes we hear about later in the book of Acts. Coming up to check it out. Mentioned Eusebius of Caesarea was a fourth century bishop. He wrote the, the first extant history of Christianity that we have, and he wrote this somewhere around 330. And he records a very curious episode in the beginning of his first book. This is a multi volume thing. In book one, chapter 13 and 14 of this ecclesiastical history, he relates a story about a king called Agbras from a city called Edessa, which was up around the region of Armenia, which is like east of Turkey, northeast Turkey, a little bit farther. And that's a pretty long way away from Israel. But here's the story that Eusebius tells. And he even has the texts in, cited in his writing. I mean, this guy was a reliable historian. He wouldn't make this stuff up. In this letter, Agabus uh, sends a letter to Jesus and entreats him to come to his kingdom to heal him. And Agabus assures Jesus that if he comes, he will be welcome and he'll be listened to, unlike what's happening in Israel. And then he'll be uh, kind of safe there. He'd also be away from Rome's influence because he was outside of Roman territory. Jesus replies very graciously that he can't go because he has unfinished work to do in Israel. And then when he's finished that, he has to return to God. But when he, when he does return to God, he will send somebody to him to bring the news of the kingdom to him or to his people. 
What we know beyond a doubt, whether you want to question these documents or not, but what we do know else, elsewhere beyond a doubt is that the historical record tells us that in the early first or second century, one of the disciples went to Armenia, which would have included this territory, and that Armenia was the first nation in history to accept Christianity as a nation. That's pretty amazing. Today, we live in a world where the nations that used to affirm Christianity have kind of turned their back on the whole thing. Uh, we have a lot of skeptical people who are trying to reduce, reduce Jesus to some kind of controversial, moral, ethical teacher who got executed for the trouble of upsetting everybody with the stuff he was saying. If only they could just make it that, then it wouldn't really matter too much whether Jesus rose from the dead or not, would it? If that's all he was, big deal. The problem is they can't make it stick. Unfortunately, there are some Christians and denominations that have tried to accommodate that kind of thing. I, I don't want to get into you know, any attacks on anybody. That's irrelevant here, okay? Um, but it's just unfortunate that a lot of people have tried to accommodate that kind of thinking so that we can be more relevant. What they substitute for it instead is something like a cosmic Christ that doesn't need to be resurrected. And if you have this cosmic Christ, which is kind of like the essence of God in everything, then your main goal is to kind of unite yourself to this cosmic Christ so that you can live forever in union with this cosmic Christ. If that's the case, then why do you need a resurrection? Now, I have no idea, idea, you know, and I don't think too many of us do. Maybe some people that had near-death experiences might have a little better idea of what actually happens after you die, except for we do, we do know from Scripture that we have promises from the Lord. We also have promises from the Lord about not staying dead. Christianity is not pie in the sky by and by. It isn't. That'll be nice, but that's not permanent. Even if it's sort of like you die and you go to this wonderful place and you have wonderful experiences because you're in the presence of God, that's wonderful, but it's not all. We have been told that the same Christ that rose from the dead will give life to our mortal bodies, these bodies, like Christ's came back to life. And we'll be clothed with the same bodily substance as he has, the same kind. Amazing, Jesus walked through walls, we say. I don't think he had to do that, but hey, someday you can do that. And you can also eat if you want to. The manifestations of Christ after the resurrection are all very, they're, they're absolutely physical. Yeah, okay, you could kind of appear and disappear. I, mean, I don't understand the, the physics of that. I suppose somebody somewhere could explain it. But 
When he was present in the physical, he was present in the physical. The story of Thomas, we all know the story of Thomas. I love Thomas because I can relate to him. Right? You ever have those moments of doubt and say, God, if only you could just show me something like for real here, you know? And of course, Thomas is not there when Jesus appears and says, I know all you other people say that it's true, but I wasn't here. And then Jesus, of course, you know the rest of the story, says, here I am, put your fingers in the holes and your hand in my side and stop doubting and believe. Now, I'd be a little weirded out if I was asked to put my fingers in Jesus, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely with Thomas there. Was, what do you do in that place? In that place, you fall down and you say, my Lord and my God, you know, it's like, Nobody just comes back from the dead, okay? It's an absolutely unique case. Jesus had been dead for 36 hours minimum. You say the third day. Well, it's the way the Jewish people counted days that makes it the third day. It's not about, you know, 72 hours of time. It's about the way the Jewish people... Anyway, we don't, we don't need to go there. Here's another story that comes out of the book of Acts that talks about the absolute historicity of this thing, and it was not hidden to anybody. Everybody understood what was being debated here. From the very beginning, the Jewish authorities, the end of Matthew's gospel, they say to these guards, which we think were Roman guards, to lie about it, and they'll pay them off to keep their mouths shut, because something incredible happened there. And here's the strange thing about that. Roman guards who fell asleep on watch, the penalty was death. That's what it was. There were no exceptions. You fell asleep on guard and you died. So I'm not too sure about how the, the, the Jewish authorities could arrange with the governor, Pilate, unless they could say, be lenient to these guys because like, it's not their fault. I don't know. But that would be the normal penalty. In the book of Acts, Paul refers to all of this. And getting, Paul is under arrest. Remember that he was accused uh, you know, of various things. And he, he's having a hearing in front of the Roman governor Festus and King Herod Agrippa. And this is in the 50s, some mid-50s maybe, maybe late 50s. We're not too sure of the exact date. We're not really given that. But in that, Paul relates that all of this stuff is not hidden. He tells King Agrippa, you know about this stuff. I'm sure you do. Because none of it was done hidden in a corner anywhere. And Agrippa doesn't make a direct reply except for you want to make me a Christian like, I, like you are. And of course, Paul says, of course I do. I wish you were like me. Agrippa didn't deny this. Paul said to him, I'm not mad. I'm speaking words full of truth and good sense. The king knows about these things, and it is to him I'm speaking so boldly. Festus is new in town. He doesn't really know, except for he knows this has been going on, and all this stuff about Jesus and Paul tells him, I cannot believe that any of this has escaped your notice. 
All these things were not done in a corner. It's public. It's out there. What does Anastasis, Greek word for resurrection, say to us? It says that the whole standing order we think is true has been turned over on its head. It's all different now. Death has been revoked. What we're here for when we commemorate, and, and I'm glad you guys had that chance, but and all our, our uh, with your family, Leanne. Um, and it's beautiful to have these traditions, you know, as we have all these beautiful memories, we observe some traditions to honor our dead, and that's a, a wonderful and proper thing to do. But the reassurance of that is it's not the end. And it doesn't mean that, yeah, when you pass, you're going to go and see them on the other side, which, praise God. But that's not the end. The crucifixion occurred on a specific date. And we could go to the next one there. On a specific date. I'll talk about this in a second. Probably, there's a lot of debate about that, but probably, how exact do you want this to be? April 3rd, 33 CE, around 3 o'clock in the afternoon. That's pretty specific, isn't it? Now, I, I won't go into the calculations of how they do this. The proposition is that there are about three or four years that were possible for this to happen in, given the alignment of things and all that, and the Jewish calendar and all of that stuff. But this is, they think, a lot of people think, the most probable one. April 3rd, 33 CE, or AD if you like, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. How many events of yesterday's news are that exact? Huh? Do you think that God made it so specific just so that we say it never happened? Absolutely not. It's so specific so that we can know this happened. And then, approximately 36 hours, maybe a little more, give or take. I'd like to think 40. That would be nice and symbolic. But... 36 to 40 hours later, the women, and I love it that it's the women, went to the tomb and the body wasn't there. And not only that, Mary Magdalene encountered the living Christ. Of course, she didn't believe it. This is more testimony here. It was when you look at the honesty of the Gospels, the disciples didn't believe it. This is impossible. It's another evidence for it. They say, yes, the evidence is that the disciples later believed it and did all kinds of amazing stuff because of it, but their first response is, this does not happen just typically like everybody else, right? That's not what happens. People don't rise from the dead. So here's the other thing about that. April 3rd, 36 hours is April 5th. The resurrection happened on a very specific date and time in history. Just like the crucifixion did. And it happened, and the whole world has been changed since then. Now, lots of other things we could talk about, you know, evidences for it in and outside the Bible. Since the resurrection of Christ, all those years ago, 
getting close to 2,000 years. Think about it. We're in the year 20, uh, 2022. 2033 will be 2,000 years. Millions of other people, including a whole bunch of us right here, claim to have met the risen Jesus. Now, is that just an empty claim? What do you base your claim on? Now, you may not have been like Thomas and got to, you know, stick your fingers in there, but you had an encounter. You had an encounter, and we could all tell this, and it was wonderful. I love listening to people's stories about their encounters with, with the risen Christ. But you've had an encounter. And the thing is, that if you keep following him, that's not the end. You'll have more of them too. Now someday it'd be great if he would appear there. Like I, I sometimes imagine if I'm driving somewhere and there's some distance to go, is that I, this might just sound weird to you, okay? But I honestly, I get weird. A little, I clear the seat, the passenger seat beside me, and I just say, okay, Lord, you want to come and sit there? That'd be so cool. I'd probably have an accident if he did, but uh, no, he'd stop that. Okay, but I do that, and I sometimes just chat with him. Is that weird? I guess so. But because if it's real, if it's true, it could happen. Some people say over the years, hundreds, thousands, that they have had encounters with actual Christ being there. And it's not just a ghost. He made that totally clear to them when he appeared to them. I'm not a ghost. Ghosts don't have flesh and bones like I do. Here's a little question. Why did Jesus spend 40 days on earth after his resurrection before he ascended? Any, any ideas? I have a theory about that. I can't, you know, this is just my theory. 40 is a very symbolic number in Scripture. Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness before entering the promised land. When Jesus was about to begin his ministry, he spent, as you know, 40 days in the desert, fasting, praying, getting prepared. 40 days. Not just because, you know, 40 is the symbolic number, although it is partly because of that, because Jesus is the incarnation as Messiah, is the incarnation in person of Israel. And Israel spent 40 years wandering because they turned away from God and they kind of lost their way. Jesus is coming back to restore all things, including, including Israel in its mission, which was to reach the whole world for, for God, to turn the world back to God. That was Israel's mission. Unfortunately, they, get, they, they kind of missed it. Not totally, but pretty much. And what Jesus was getting ready to do is to bring that whole thing back on track. So he was redeeming, this is the way I'm looking at it, he was redeeming those 40 lost years with 40 days of intensely seeking God in fasting and prayer. Now, 40 days also after the resurrection, Maybe that begins to click a little bit. What was about to happen? He was going to tell the disciples to, after this was over, when he was about to ascend, to go and wait in Jerusalem until the power comes. 
That was going to be 10 days later in Pentecost, which was a Jewish feast. The 40 days after was to prepare the disciples to fulfill the mission, to prepare them the way he had prepared to restore all things in Israel. And he's preparing them to take on the mission. I'm leaving. You're going to have the job. Kind of. I like that idea. That's why it was 40 days after. John's Gospel tells us, at the end of John's Gospel, there are many other things which Jesus did if they were written down one by one. I don't think the world itself would be able to contain the books that would be written. Has Jesus left the world? Physically, yeah. Could come back any time, but yeah, mostly. But he hasn't left the world. He hasn't left us orphans. He hasn't left the world without hope. Sometimes it feels that way. Sometimes we even feel that way. But that's not it. Because part of what Jesus is doing is saying, as we were just saying to his followers, you have this. This is your work. This is your calling. The kingdom is here. It's now. That's what Jesus preached. The kingdom is not gone off somewhere into heaven with Jesus. It's still here. It's in us. The power is in us. Each one of us has a part to play. And each one of us, as we play our part and do these different things, and we don't always get it right, but when we do these different things, we are acting as Christ to the world. That's who we're called to be. That's like a terrifying idea. And you say, well, God, I'm just so unworthy and etc." And I, I understand totally because I feel the same way. But Paul calls us Christ's ambassadors to a dying world. We are the aroma or the perfume of life in a world that smells like rotten death. And if we're not that, we need to start... <laughs> Moving there. So the resurrection is the sign to us that the kingdom is now. Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit is the seal of the promise in Christ in each of us. It's the sign of the fulfillment of the promises by God. The question is then, do we really and truly accept and believe that Christ rose physically from the dead? Now, that picture there is actually a picture of the face that's on the Shroud of Turin. Now, I don't know if any of you have heard of the Shroud of Turin. If you've heard of the Shroud of Turin, some people don't put any credit in it whatsoever. But it's a pretty amazing thing. Some people have said that it was a forgery from the Middle Ages or something like this. I mean, anyway, I won't go into that whole story. But the, the, the portrait that's on there, many people, millions of people believe, is actually a photographic image of the face of Christ just before the resurrection. Or as the resurrection was just happening. That would be a pretty amazing thing if it was. I'm not saying that that's what it is. But it's an incredible thing if that's what it, 
if that's what turned out to be. The, the reason it's got these red splotches on it is, that, is to highlight that that's human blood. Tests have been done on this thing. All kinds of tests have been done on it. And that is human blood on there. Okay. Um, okay. Last slide there. The body was in the tomb. The body is no longer there. The body that was in the tomb is not going to be found anywhere, but the spirit that comes from it is going to be found everywhere. I'm going to uh, conclude, mostly, with a citation from a work uh, written by N.T. Wright. N.T. Wright is a... Uh, Aaron has referred to him before. He's one of my absolutely favorite Christian writers. He wrote a huge tome called The Resurrection of the Son of God, part of a series that he has written. And at the conclusion of this book, which is this exhaustive, like I mean exhaustive, treatment of this whole question of resurrection and the veracity of it and everything. And this guy is not afraid to take on the skeptics and he takes them on head on. He takes them on head on. Takes the bull by the horn sort of thing and deconstructs their whole argumentation. Wonderful work. But this is what he says at the end of this book. Christian faith has always declared that earth, gravity and all, is where the Son of God made his home, pitching his tent, as John puts it, in our midst. And that declaration was the consequence, not the cause, of the belief that on the third day, God raised Jesus from the dead. For the earliest Christians, to speak of Jesus' resurrection was to speak of something that, however, in our sense, earth-shattering, however much it drew together things earthly and heavenly, was still an earthly event and needed to be exactly that. It had consequences, an empty tomb, footprints in the sand. You remember down by the shores of Galilee. A loaf of bread not consumed. History matters because human beings matter. Human beings matter because creation matters. Creation matters because the creator matters. The arrival of God's kingdom precisely in the world of space, time, and matter, the world of injustice and tyranny, of empires and crucifixions. This world is where the kingdom must come, on earth as it is in heaven. What view of creation what view of justice would be served by the offer merely of a new spirituality and a one-way ticket out of trouble, an escape from the real world? No wonder the Herods, the Caesars, and the Sadducees of this world, ancient and modern, were and are eager to rule out the possibility of actual resurrection. So I'll leave you with that to chew on. Worship.
Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Community Church, visit ovchurch.ca. Thank you.